The following audio is from the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For more information about Ridge Church, please visit ridgechurch.cc. We, we hope you enjoy this message ago, from the Ridge. We've covered Acts 1 and 2, and today we're going to go ahead and hit Acts 3. So if, you're, if you have your Bible or if you're using your Bible app or whatever and you want to go ahead and start uh, getting to Acts 3, now would be a great time to do that. Anytime that if you don't have a Bible, whether it's for the service or where you just like to have one at home or whatever or know somebody who would like to have one, please remember we have free Bibles out in the foyer next to the Ridge Central table. Uh, those are there for you to pick up and, and, like I said, for you or for somebody that you may know. There are also a couple of other books there as well. Uh, there are really good resources that are also free to take. So, Acts. Uh, before we really get into it, uh, let's sort of back up and give you a little bit of background about the book of Acts, okay? Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who also wrote the book Luke. Uh, go figure. Uh, the, the gospel of Luke is sort of like volume one, and Acts is like a follow-up on that, a continuation volume two, okay? Luke was a Jewish physician, a doctor. Uh, both books are, in the very beginning, are addressed to a guy named uh, Theodophilus. And there's not a whole lot known about him. Uh, pretty much the, the sort of the general feel is that he was probably a very successful, wealthy person uh, just due to the way that, that Luke addressed him in, in the earlier part of chapter 1. Um, and scholars think that he may very well have funded Luke to research about Christ. Uh, Theodophilus was a Christian, apparently, and had had heard a lot about Christ, but wanted to make sure that what he heard was true. And so he ends up with uh, funding Luke to go out and find out, interview witnesses, things like that, just so to make sure that we're, you know, everything was on the up and up. We do know that Luke was also a traveling companion of Paul. He, he traveled around with Paul. And the, the book of Acts was probably written somewhere around 60 to 70 A.D., uh, so, you know, 30, 40 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. So that's a little background on the book of Acts. Now, in chapter 1, Bobby sort of drove home the point that, uh, like the disciples, are we willing to write sort of a blank check for God to use us and for us to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples? Are we all in? And then in chapter 2, last week, uh, his main point was pretty much wherever the gospel is proclaimed, then the gospel is multiplied. Okay? That brings us up to chapter 3, where we're going to talk about a life-changing experience. Okay? How many of you have had, at some point in your life, a life-changing experience for the positive? Something happened that it literally changed your life for the better. Okay? You know, I, I can, think, can actually think of several things. Easiest one, today being Father's Day. You know, the birth of my daughter, that was a life-changing experience for me. Uh, accepting Christ was a life-changing experience. Getting married was a life-changing experience. Not quite to that level, but sort of lesser level, if you could, of life-changing experience would be, I don't know, the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. We won't talk about last year. But, you know... Uh, Anytime that the Seahawks beat the 49ers, that's a life-changing experience because that's Pastor Bobby's favorite team. Um, anytime that I can beat Pastor Bobby in disc golf, that's another life-changing experience. Okay? But I really want to share another one with you today. 
This has been a life-changing experience for me. Pie. This is not just any pie. No. No. No, 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 no. It will be a life-changing experience for you if you try to get my pie because I will punch you in the throat. But just say it. This is a life-changing. This isn't just any pie. This is a, a baked, not fried, a baked hand pie from VG's Bakery. Uh, they're over in Farragut. And I mean, they come in apple and cherry and blueberry and peach. Oh, my goodness. Now, I'll, I'll show you how, how much of an experience it's been for me. Saturday mornings, I will get up to be at the farmer's market by 8 to get one of these pies. And you say, well, why don't you just go to the bakery? Because they don't keep them at the bakery. I've tried. And no matter how much I fuss about them, they don't keep them at the bakery. They only sell them at the farmer's market. So I'll get up on Saturday morning, be there at 8 o'clock to get them. I'll get there. I will walk by all the vegetables to get the pie. Don't judge. Don't judge, okay? Pies will sell out by 8.30. There's still plenty of vegetables left after 8.30. Oh, these are so good. Now, you say, okay, so that's great. Rusty, it's a pie, and it's all good and everything, but how can that be a life-changing experience? Well, I'm glad that you asked because... I'm convinced that this pie has saved my, well, not this one, but it will, okay? It it will soon go into the, save my life. You see, only skinny people get kidnapped. (laughs) Be safe, eat pie. (laughs) I mean... I can attest to the fact that not once since I have started eating these pies has anyone ever attempted to kidnap me. Okay, it might be a technicality that nobody has ever tried to kidnap me, but I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that these pies have led to a life-changing event in my life. Okay? They are an experience. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But and we get into Acts 3, we see a story about another life-changing experience. It doesn't involve pie but it's really awesome too, okay? Uh, let's check out chapter 3. We're gonna, let's check out chapter, verses 1 through 12, uh, and then we'll kick back a little bit later and, and hit the rest of the chapter. But let's just go over Acts 3, 1 through the beginning of verse 12, so we can see where we're going with this, okay? Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. That's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Alms being money. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for uh, the opportunity uh, that you've given us by providing Scripture for us, by providing instructions and words and encouragement and and guidance. And and you've had it all put down on paper for us so that we can so that we can see it for ourselves and read it for ourselves and dig into your word so that we can come closer to you. Father, I ask that you just let your Holy Spirit move here today. Let it move through open hearts and open minds so that people can understand and walk away with a life-changing experience. So, Father, take these words, do with them as you would. In your son's name, amen. This was definitely a life-changing experience for this guy, right? No pie, but life-changing. Incredibly important to him. The best thing that probably happened to him in his entire life to this point. As we start taking a look at this story today, of course, we're going to look at what happened, but I also want us to take sort of a different point of view, a different angle at the story. And I want to do this so that you will have the chance. You personally to have a chance at having a life-changing experience here today. This isn't about just something that happened. This is about each of us here today. Okay? So let's take a look at this. And and the angle that I want to look at it is not just, like I said, from what just happened, but also from the different groups of people we can compare in this story. Okay? First, we have Peter and John, right? Two of the disciples, two of the original 12, two that walked through Christ during his three, approximately three years of ministry, who were with him day in, day out, who saw him crucified, witnessed to him coming back, risen from the dead, watched him come back to earth, spend another 40 days with him, watching him ascend into heaven. These were people who were sold out. This represents a group of people that are sold out to Christ. It's not a matter of making an investment. They've given it all. They have given it all. Had no money. Didn't have any money. Weren't worried about it. They were counting on God, counting on Christ to provide for them. They were doing what he wanted them to do. Whatever that was, they were good with. They gave him total control of their lives. Sold out. Making disciples that made disciples that made disciples. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They were living in this close relationship with Christ. Okay? 
Then we have a second group. And when we look at the beggar, we can actually see the beggar, we can see two different groups of people represented here. One, we can see when we take a look at the beggar before he was healed, and the other one is when we look at the beggar after he was healed. So before he was healed, let's take a look at that. The beggar had been lame since birth, born with a birth defect. No fault of his own, couldn't do anything about it. Nothing could be done about it at this point in time. Okay? Every day, he, he couldn't even get to the temple. Every day, he had to be carried by friends or family. Someone had to carry him to the temple gate and set him down at the gate. He wasn't even allowed to go inside the gate at the temple. Because in Jewish culture, him being lame meant he was unclean and unfit to go into the temple area. Wasn't even allowed in. He could lay outside. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to lay outside in Israel in the summer on stone all day long asking for money, asking for help. Day in, day out. He depended on the generosity of others to provide what he needed. He depended on others to give him just just to make do, to get enough money to be able to survive, to be able to exist. And many of us are either there at, at some point today maybe or at some point in our lives where we've been there, where we're so focused on just what it takes to survive, just to pay the bills, to pay the rent, to pay the car payment, just to to try to make ends meet, to put food on the table. Not for next week, just for today. And we get so focused on what, on looking for someone else, looking for others to provide for us, to give us what we need to fill a void. We get so caught up in it that we forget to look for God in the situation. We forget to look and see and try to to understand what his plan for our lives are. We lose that focus. Then you have the group that compared to the beggar after he was healed. Okay? Um, These people are people who have been introduced to Christ. They've had an experience with Christ. Maybe they've come to Christ, and they are jacked up, just like the beggar. Talks about how he was walking and jumping and leaping. Can you imagine you've never been able to walk your entire life and all of a sudden, boom, just like that, you can walk? I mean, he, you know, and it says they're in the temple. That means for the first time in his life, he got to go into the temple area. He got to go through those gates where he watched people go in and out of every single day, but he wasn't fit to do it. And now he was accepted. He was whole. He was clean. He was there. You know that he was all over the place. He was probably even airplaning around the courtyard. I don't, you know, of course, he wouldn't have called it airplane. He just thought it was a bird. But, you know, he, he just sort of burdened around the, the whole courtyard. He is jacked at this point. And he is so excited and making such a commotion that other people are going, what on earth is going on? And he's getting their attention. He wants everybody to know. And you see that a lot with new Christians. They are so pumped and so excited and they're so enthusiastic and they want everybody to know and they're wearing out social media, right? 
They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They're on Twitter. They're on Periscope. They're on, you know, if there's a new app for it, they're on it. They're letting everybody know because they're excited about it. They've had this life-changing experience, and they want other people to have a part of it. And unfortunately, in the past, too many times, the church sort of beats those people down because they were getting a little too excited. But, you know, and, and that part's not good. They should be excited. We all should be excited about that. But at the same time, in all honesty, they're very committed, but their relationship with Christ is still pretty shallow. It's just starting. Okay? I can't meet you today and then claim to have a great relationship with you. I just met you. Relationships take some time. And so they're in that early stage, right? That early stage. Then you have the fourth group. The fourth group is the crowd. The temple was the the economic, political, and religious center of the Jewish culture. So you have people there doing a lot of things, and all of a sudden there's a commotion, and they look up, and they recognize this guy. That, That guy's been sitting out there and sitting out there and sitting out there. He can't walk. He can't even get here. He has to be carried. He's running around, jumping and praising God. What on earth? And so they come over to see what's going on, to see what all the fuss is about, to see what the excitement is about, to see what it's all about, and to see if they want to have a part of it. They recognize something special but now they have to see if they want anything to do with it or not. So that brings us to this question. Of those four groups of people, right now, where you sit, which group do you identify with the most in your life right now? Is it the sold-out disciples, all in, Lord, do with me whatever you want. If that means taking my life, then take my life. Put me in whatever circumstance. That's not my call, God. That's yours. You put me there. I'll work through it. I'll deal with you. I will sing your praises. I'm committed to you. I'm all about showing other people your love, making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Just use me, God. Here I am. I am yours. Boom. Do it. Are you in that group? Or... Are, in that, are you still in that group where you're looking for others to fill that void in your life? You know there's a void. You know there's an emptiness. You know there's got to be something else. And you're looking for, and you're going from one person to the other to the other, trying to find somebody to fill that void. Or maybe you're a new Christian and, and you're excited and you're pumped, but, but that relationship hasn't developed. Now, pay attention to this because that, that group of people doesn't always mean somebody who has just accepted Christ. It could very easily, just as easily, be somebody who has accepted Christ maybe years and years ago, and they were pumped and excited about it, but for whatever reason, whether it's life, whether it's Satan, whether it's just whatever, they've never really developed that relationship. They still know Christ, but they haven't taken that relationship. They haven't raised it. They haven't spent time. They don't spend time daily with Christ. They don't dig into it. They don't try to find out what he wants for them. They're just sort of going along. Or are you sitting there on the fringe just wanting to know what it's all about? As you think about that, give that some thought. And as you think about it, we're going to look at the second part of this chapter. Okay? 
Uh, we're going to, to go from starting picking up back again in verse 12 and then move on down and see what it says from there. Okay, so let's go to verse 12. It says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, there's a shot at the Pharisees, we've made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his, his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing, keep this one in mind, we'll come back to this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter seized the opportunity. He saw an opportunity for a spiritual conversation. People gathered around wanting to know what was going on. This is Peter's second sermon after he had received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and he wasn't going to miss an opportunity. He wasn't going to miss an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with a group of people, and so he jumped on it right then and there. And the first thing he did was say, Time out. Why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at John? Why are you thinking that we did this? You're missing the point here. We didn't heal this guy. Jesus healed this guy. Just by having faith in the name of Jesus healed this guy. You remember Jesus, don't you? Remember remember him? He was the, oh yeah, let me think. Who was he? He was, oh yeah, he was the guy you had killed? That Jesus? Yeah. That Jesus, the one you had killed, that's exactly the one we're talking about. Yeah, the one that, that Pilate gave you a choice, Pilate was all for letting him go, but just to make you happy, he gave you a choice to either have him killed or to have some murderer killed, and you chose to have Jesus killed and let the murderer go free? That guy, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, let's see. What's the word for that? Oh, yeah. Ignorance. You were ignorant. You were. You killed the author of life. That's just stupid. Yeah, that Jesus. Peter didn't pull a lot of punches. But fortunately, he also didn't stop there. It wasn't about just bashing somebody for having done something, for being stupid or making mistakes or whatever. He went on, and he went on to share the gospel. The gospel being the good news. The good news. And so he dropped good news on them as well. Sort of the rusty paraphrase of it is he said something like this. No matter how stupid you've been, Jesus still loves you. He still loves you. He still wants you to be part of his kingdom, part of his family. Even though you and your rulers were ignorant, it's okay. He loves you. All you have to do is repent and follow him. Repent. This means turn around. Go the other way. Quit doing what you're doing. Quit living the way you're living. Quit following your own desires, the desires of the flesh or what the world is telling you that you want to do. God, God sent Jesus. Jesus gave us all this information, told us how we're supposed to do things, what we need to do. Just do it the way he tells us to do it. Follow him. Quit trying to, to be on the fringe or investing and be all in. Go for it. And I told you, remember that little part about refreshing? Because when, we're in, when we are in the presence of the Lord, there will be times that we feel refreshed. I've got to say, that strikes a nerve deep in my heart. To be refreshed. We look for so many ways to be refreshed. We go on vacation to get away and to be refreshed, and we come home more tired than we were when we left. <laughs> You've been there, done that? Where you need like a day or two to recover from your recovery vacation before you go back to work? Because we're looking for that refreshness in the wrong places. I'm not saying it's wrong to go on vacation, but if we're really wanting the refreshing of our heart, the refreshing of our soul, we find it in the presence of God. So what now? As in, right now, what now? What's this look like with skin on it? What does this have to do with you and me as we leave here today? Are you at a place in your relationship with Christ where it's not an investment anymore, it's all in? Where you're working daily on building that relationship? where it's a blank check for God to use you however he wants to? Or are you still trying to find that void, fill that void with someone or something else? Or maybe you have that base relationship. You're still excited. Yes, it's been life-altering, but it's just... You know him, but there's not that relationship yet, and you need to move that on up and not. Or maybe you're here today, and you just came to see what all the fuss is about. You've heard enough about it. Okay, so fine. I'll go see. 
no matter how stupid you have been, Jesus still loves you. No matter what you have done, Jesus still loves you. You don't have to be cleaned up and fixed and all all good and, and, and get yourself all holy before you come to Christ. You don't have to be wealthy or successful or influential or to be a somebody in order for God to love you. He loves you as you are right now. Accepting Christ. Following Christ. Loving Christ. Building that relationship with Christ. Those are life-changing events. Pie is good. But Jesus is better. Sums it all up right there. If you want a sermon in a sentence, there you go. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What if someone put before you a life, an opportunity for a life-changing experience? It's there for you. They put it right in front of you. It's laid out for you. It's on a silver platter. All you have to do is take it. Would you take it or would you say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm good. That's a question you have to answer right now because that's exactly what's in front of you. You have a chance right now, today, regardless of which group that that you identified with, to have a life-changing experience and move deeper and deeper into the plan that God has for you and into the relationship with Jesus that he wants for you. The only question is, is will you take it?